Sarah Sue Hoknotabi writes contemporary mysteries from a unique Cherokee Nation viewpoint. She's a member of the Cherokee Nation herself, and so is her lead character, Sadie. Sadie's an independent-minded entrepreneur with a keen sense of justice that gets her caught up in all sorts of tricky situations. Welcome to the joys of binge reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series. So you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and today Sarah talks about her latest book, Betrayal at Buffalo Ranch the fourth in her Sadie mystery series. She recounts how a book that started out being about how women got a bit of a bad rap in banking turned into a bank robbery mystery. And she recalls the day she got stopped at Heathrow for having an American Indian name, believe it or not. We've got three ebook copies of Betrayal at Buffalo Ranch for three lucky readers in our Westerns Alive giveaway. Go to our binge reading website and click giveaway to enter and you won't miss out. You'll find links to Sarah's website and books in the show notes for this week's episode there as well. Don't forget you can get exclusive binge reading bonus content by joining Binge Reading on Patreon. For as little as a cup of coffee a month, you'll get behind the scenes about the podcast, as well as more suggestions for books you won't want to put down, and the funny, quirky, getting to know you five quick questions that we're giving our authors to reply to these days. Check it out on patreon.com forward slash the joys of binge reading that's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n but now here's sarah hello there sarah and welcome to the show it's great to have you with us oh thank you i am delighted to be here thank you for the invitation Look, you've got four a four-book mystery series, and there's something very unique about them because they're set in the Cherokee Nation in northeastern Oklahoma. Now, you're a tribal citizen of the Cherokee Nation yourself, and your heroine, the lead character in your stories, Sadie, is also as well. That must be a special thing for you, is it? Uh, it is. I am Cherokee through my mother's side of the family. In my book, my character Sadie is Cherokee through her father's side of the family. And it, it is a unique uh, setting in that I write from the Cherokee perspective, where not every mystery writer can do that if they're not Cherokee. That's absolutely right. And with this Western promotion that we've been doing, I've been reading a few more Western writers, well, not Western books than I did normally. And I've been actually quite surprised at how many do mention, um, they do pay homage in various ways to the to Native people, but they don't have the inside perspective. They're all outsiders looking in. So that gives you a unique perspective indeed. Yes, it certainly does. How do you think it actually makes your books different? What, how is it reflected in the writing? Well, I believe that the stories that I write about, and, you know, when writers first start writing, they're told to write what they know. And, of course, I'm Cherokee, so that's what I know. And I believe it makes the characters more authentic To since I'm writing about Cherokee country and have Cherokee characters. 
I believe it makes them more authentic in uh, their everyday life and, and how they're living. Fantastic. And you'd have a very good appreciation of what modern life is like for the Cherokee, wouldn't you? Because these are contemporary novels. That's correct. Rather than writing historical uh, fiction, I decided to write in current day so that it would be a reflection because there's so much misinformation out there about Indian life today. I'll tell you a quick little short story. I hope it didn't take up too much time. But when I was a teenager, I was working in a restaurant not far from, it was actually on Lake Uchi. The restaurant was on the shores of Lake Uchi. And a man came in and he said he wanted to know if I could tell him where to find the Indians. And I said, well, I'm Cherokee. Does that count? And he said, no, no, I'm looking for the Indians and their teepees riding their horses. And I started laughing because I thought he was joking and he was not joking. And, and he had two young kids with him. It made me realize that people from outside of Oklahoma had no idea how Indians live in today's society. They think we're all riding horses and living in teepees. And so I guess when I started riding, I wanted to make sure that people got a, an accurate portrayal of what's going on in today's life. Yes, sure. Now, is, is Lake Uchi, that is where you grew up, isn't it? Yes. Is that actually part of a reservation or is it just normal kind of country, is it? Well, it's within the Cherokee Nation area, the uh -huh, Cherokee yeah. Nation Reservation, um, where I grew up. And um, it, it's a nice lake. It's a, a great fishing lake. Get a lot of tourists there. Yes, yes. Well, that's great. Look, the most recent book in the series is called Betrayal at Buffalo Ranch, and it sets up a dynamic of an unscrupulous landowner with big plans to turn his ranch into one of those places where rich men come and shoot animals. And some of the locals, both, uh, you know, normal Americans and Cherokee, are upset about these plans. They think it's going to be horrible for the district to have something like that there. But there are some Cherokee in your story who actually are going along with it and actually um, plotting with him. That produces some of the complexity about the relationships now, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And those characters who are working with the ranch owner, they were not exactly interested in the hunting aspect of the ranch as much as they were wanting to skim some extra buffalo off of the, the number of buffalo that were being brought into the ranch so that they could uh, sell them and make extra money. It was kind of a greedy aspect of uh, a way to <laughs> to make some money. And I suppose you're going to find that kind of people in all walks of life. Sure. How much of your stories is founded in fact and things that have actually happened and how much is it your inspiration? Well, the places uh, are true. There, There is no Buffalo Ranch around Uchi. <laughs> the, there is, however, a Buffalo herd that is owned by the Cherokee Nation. Now, I don't think they've been uh, doing anything like I suggested in my book. That's all fiction. But they are using the buffalo herd to, to help with the, even with meat for the elders in the tribe and, and making money. It's a money making. And they have rights to do that.
Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Look, Sadie is a businesswoman with a romantic relationship with one of the deputy sheriffs in the county. So she's close to the law, but she is very much her independent woman. She isn't a, a law officer as such herself. And that produces a bit of tension in the romantic relationship, doesn't it? Tell us about Lance and also the way he came into the book, because there's an interesting story associated with how Lance even came to be there in the first place, isn't there? There is. And, and as you say, Sadie's a very independent woman. She owns her own home on land that she got from her Cherokee father. She's a businesswoman, as you say. So in the first book, she has a short-lived marriage that didn't turn out so well. So she's very cautious about getting married again. And so there is a tension between her and Lance Smith because she's certainly fallen in love with him. But she's very hesitant to let him tell her what to do (laughs) or anything like that. And in the first book, when I sent my manuscript to the University of Arizona Press, They liked it because of the fact that it is current day Indian country. And they asked me if I could add another professional character, such as a doctor or a lawyer or something. And I thought about it and I ended up adding Lance Smith. And so I had to go back and rework my manuscript and add this character, which is not too easy to do. So he doesn't have a a huge part in the first book but he is there as a police officer. And then in the second book, he takes on a much larger role, and that's when he and Sadie become romantically involved. And as it has come along, the readers have really also fallen in love with Lance, and he's one of their favorite characters. So he's here to stay, and he was just kind of uh, added as an afterthought to that first book, so... That's interesting. I know a little bit about your own life story from just what I've read online. And you sound as if you have been a remarkably independent woman in your own right. How much of of Sadie is in you or is there you and Sadie? (laughs) Well, Sadie certainly, I'm not Sadie and Sadie isn't me, but she's more or less a compilation of a lot of people I've known. And she's a character I admire and maybe would like to be more like. But that being said, there are a few parallels in that we are both Cherokee. We both live near Lake Uchi, where I grew up, and we both worked in a bank at one point in time. We both had an aunt who owned a restaurant that is in the second book. So we do have a few things in common, but she's probably a little more daring than I am. <laughs> You mentioned that the University of Arizona is your publisher, and I found that quite interesting because you you generally think of university publications as being more academic. Does the University of Arizona do many more popular fiction books, or was there particular interest, the Cherokee angle and the cultural um, heritage that you're preserving there? Well, when they when they accepted my first book for publication, they were not publishing much fiction at all, much, much less a mystery. In fact, I had submitted it as a mainstream novel, <laughs> thinking I would get a better chance of being published, and but they knew right off it was a mystery and pointed that out to me. But yes, you're correct in that they were very interested in the cultural aspect of the Cherokee characters and the story being told in current day 
you know, that it reflected real life today in Indian country. And so I think it was as important to them as it is to me to not feed misinformation about Indian people to the readers like I was talking about a while ago. And that the fact that I write from a Cherokee perspective, I think yeah. they like that. Yeah, it's interesting. This thing about women being independent in modern day Cherokee Nation, are the women playing a, a, a leading role or are they managing to find their own agency, so to speak? Women are very strong in the Cherokee uh, Nation. The um, the tribe in historically is was a matriarchal society. Oh, was and it? So, I didn't realize that, yeah. Yeah, and so women took a, a, a large role. And one of the biggest roles I can tell you about is Wilma Mankiller, who was chief of the Cherokee Nation in the past. And she was a very strong leader. So independent women in the Cherokee Nation is very common. That's great. I didn't realize it was a matriarchal society. Yeah. You've had great... Um, endorsements from some of the leading Western writers, and that includes Craig Johnson, the author of Longmire series, and also Tony Hillerman, who was one of the first to start writing mysteries with an Indian perspective. Did you get a thrill when they came out and praised your work? Oh, definitely. I will never forget the day my my editor called me to tell me she had an endorsement from Tony Hillerman because he had been such an inspiration to me because I felt like if he could write as a non-Indian about the Navajo people and do it in such a wonderful way, then why couldn't I do it about my people, the Cherokees? So he had definitely been a huge inspiration to me. And I actually had the opportunity to meet him and give him a signed copy of my first book. And he was such a gracious man. I I just, it was just a thrill to, to meet him and get his endorsement. And then with Craig Johnson, after, um, shortly after I met Tony, I was invited to sit on a panel with Craig Johnson at the Tucson Festival of Books. He too is a very nice, gracious man and he writes wonderful books. And so I'm just really grateful to him and all the other author, authors that have endorsed my work. It's very, very humbling. Tell us a little bit about your journey to getting published. I mean, first of all, what inspired you to even start writing in the first place? And then secondly, to tackle mysteries. Well, I I started writing. I spent 21 years in the banking business, working that nine to five job banging my head against that glass ceiling <laughs> and didn't get very far. I got pretty far, but not as far as I would have liked to. But then at the age of 45, I got married for the first time and moved away. I was living in Oklahoma. My husband was working in Hawaii at the time. And so we moved to Hawaii. Well, I discovered that it was not easy for me to get a job and with all that experience, basically because I was an outsider. So my husband encouraged me to try to do something maybe that I had not had the chance to do before. And so that's when I started writing. So when I first started writing, I thought, I think I'll write a book on how women are discriminated against in the banking business. <laughs> and so I started writing. I started my first book with a bank robbery 
and the characters just took over and it just turned in a completely different direction. And then it ended up being a mystery. And I think that's because of that's what I really like to read. So, so it, it just, it just went, the characters literally took over writing that book. And that became the first book in the series. Yes. <laughs> that's wonderful. Have you ever been involved in a bank robbery in your years in banking? I did not. Uh, I have not personally been involved in a bank robbery, but my best friend that I worked with was working at a different branch. And the bank robbery that is in my first book is actually based on that particular real event, except that in real life, nobody got killed. And so, but that the way that the robber broke into the bank and everything is exactly the way it happened in real life. Fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Look, a perennial question that I like to ask every author that I speak to is, is there one thing you've done in your writing career more than any other that you'd see as the secret of your success? I mean, it's a wonderful success in its own right to be writing, have written four books, and I presume you've got more coming. So how how have you managed to get your foot on the ladder? Well, I think I probably need to give credit to all the support that I've received from so many people. You know, first of all, my husband, who is willing to put food on the table and a roof over my head while I sit around and write all the time. And I've had support from the Cherokee Nation, the elders and Cherokee fluent speakers who helped me with the the language. And my publisher has been exceptionally supportive. And that gave me the opportunity to say yes to an invitation to speak at the National Book Festival in Washington, D.C. in 2014, which was just, that was just an opportunity of a lifetime, really. And they also arranged for invitations to the Tucson Festival of Books, where I got to meet so many other authors and so many readers. And so I'm just thankful to all the readers who have uh, read my books and purchased them. The support's just been overwhelming. How about the craft side of it? Did you did you just had you read so many mysteries that it came naturally to write it in the mystery form or did you look at craft books or take other classes from other writers? Did you do anything around that era to kind of try and develop a bit more confidence as you went along? Well when I first started writing I took some non-credit classes at Maui Community College and that kind of got me remembering the things that I read that I learned when I was in college and writing (laughs) classes and things like that. And so I was able to start writing then. I went to a lot of seminars, writing conferences, and learned from other authors, heard them speak. I think that putting together a mystery, there's a gift to be able to put all those different facets together to have all those threads come together at the end of the book so that the reader is satisfied. And quite frankly, I don't know how I learned to do that. And I think it's probably just from reading a lot of mysteries. It's interesting that you said in book one, the characters really almost took over. 
So do, can I assume in that case that you're more of a, what they call a pantser, that you sort of, the story develops as you go along, rather than doing a very strong outline so that you've got an idea of what happens when before you even start? Which way would you tackle it? You're correct. I write by the seat of my pants. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm a pantser. But when I first started out, everybody said, make an outline. So you know where you're going with your book. And so I knew where it was beginning and I knew where it was going to end. And I tried to make an outline. But then when I started writing and trying to follow the outline, it seemed like uh, the characters wanted to go somewhere else and do something else. And so I just gave up trying to follow an outline. (laughs) A lot of times I will write and really not know where that scene is coming from. It's almost as if I'm watching a movie in my head and I'm just writing down what I see in my head. Fantastic, yeah. Look, turning to Sarah Sue as as a reader, because this is the joys of binge reading, we like to hear what you've enjoyed reading in the past and presently and make some recommendations for our listeners as to what they might like to um, read and new names they might not be aware of. So tell us about your own reading. You obviously have been a big reader right through your life, I would have think. Is that correct? Yes. Now, when I was working in the bank, I didn't have a lot of time for reading, but uh, my husband introduced me to Tony Hillerman's books. And as I said earlier, he was such an inspiration to me. And then I discovered the mysteries that were written by Margaret Cole. And she also writes about an Indian. She has Indian characters. And so does Craig Johnson. And we mentioned him earlier. I I love all their books. I also enjoy reading William Kent Kruger's Mysteries. I really like his writing as well. There's another author that I would recommend, and he is Kent Nurburn. And he writes nonfiction but it reads like fiction. And his book that's called Neither Wolf Nor Dog is really fast becoming a classic. It really is. So those are some of the authors that I really enjoy reading. Tell us a bit about Neither Wolf Nor Dog. Is that, you know, relating to feeling not that you don't fit in anywhere? Is that part of the sort of theme or or image that he's going to be portraying in the book? Yes, he he writes about an Indian elder and the the lessons that he learns from that elder. And uh, within the book, there is a statement made that he's neither wolf nor dog, that he's neither Indian or white. He's in the middle. That's a conflict that goes on with a lot of Indian people. Is it one that you felt yourself? Somewhat, yes. I haven't suffered the discrimination of being an Indian as much as other people have. I was singled out uh, when I was flying through London Heathrow, uh, London Heathrow Airport one time. They pulled me out of line and asked me what kind of name I had. And I, so I tried to explain to them that um, it was American Indian. I didn't think they would understand it was Choctaw, which my husband is Choctaw, and this is my husband's name. And they took me aside. And they searched me and searched my carry-on luggage. And so that's the first time that I had really been singled out because of my Indian name. And so 
And just because of a name. I mean, that's pretty extraordinary, isn't it, really? It really is. <laughs> Very unsettling. <laughs> it's not as if you're kind of going around with a beaver headdress on or anything like that, is it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Looking down through the years now, at this stage of your career, if you were doing it all over again, is there anything that you would change or do you feel that it's all happened the way it should have happened? I don't think I would change anything because if I had taken a different fork in the road, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I like where I am today and how it's all turned out. So I, I think everything happens for a reason. And this is where I ended up. And being an author uh, of these books is very rewarding. Yeah. Tell us a bit about how you organize your writing day. Do you have a particular time block that you set aside or a particular number of words you want to reach? Or how, how do you actually do it in a practical sense? Well, I try to get around in the morning and do what I'm going to do and then settle down to write. And some days I'm able to write quite a bit and some days not so much. And I, I try not to be to tie myself to a computer if I've got something that I need that needs to come out of my head and write, I certainly do that. But I also realize that at this stage of my life that there's trips to the ocean and trips to the mountains and things like that, that I'm not going to give up to sit and write. So I write uh, as much as I can and until I'm comfortable with it and then move on to something else. Yeah, that's great. What is next for Sarah, the writer? What projects have you got on over the next uh, year or so? And is there anything in the way of a new series that you've got there in your head somewhere? Well, I've been contemplating. I, I was not able to write very well during the pandemic. Uh, it was hard for me to write about a murder mystery when there were so many people dying. <laughs> it was just too hard for me to do it. So now that I'm settled down, I'm beginning to get my thoughts in order for the next Sadie adventure and get to work on that. So I don't, I don't have a, a projected time on that just yet. So that'll be book five, won't it? Is that, is that yes. right? Yeah. Yes. Have you got a title for that one yet? I don't. Not yet. Uh-huh. How do you come? How do you get your titles in the end? Do you... Well, I'm not very good at picking titles, and that's probably a good thing. My publisher reserves the right to pick the title, and so I'm very um, grateful that when they get ready to pick the title, they actually ask me my thoughts. <laughs> so <laughs> I have some input in on the title, and so that's good. So I've come up with different titles when I write the manuscript, but then by the time they get ready to publish it, they've come up with something better. <laughs> <laughs> You've mentioned your readers and the feedback that you got, for example, on Lance. It sounds like you really enjoy hearing from your readers. How do you communicate with them usually? Do you do much online or is it more in person? Tell people how they can reach you if they wish to be in touch. Well, they can find me on Facebook under Sarah Sue Hocklotubby or they can go to my website, which is hocklotubby.com. I have been surprised and amazed, I guess, 
that's I have heard from so many readers through my publisher, the University of Arizona Press. I've received cards from readers and I try to answer each and every card that I get. I'm just um, amazed at that. It's very, it's, I'm just honored. <laughs> and what's the most common feedback that you get? A lot of people uh, tell me that they relate to uh, something in my book, different things from different readers, but they'll say that there, there was a connection that they made with the story that I was telling. And that makes me feel really good that I can touch people in that way. Yeah. We've mentioned in passing that you're in Maui and you mentioned about the pandemic. Has Hawaii, I haven't seen very much about the figures in Hawaii. Has Hawaii been as badly affected as the mainland? No, Hawaii certainly shut down and has been shut down a lot longer than places on the mainland. But this summer, they've started opening back up because so many people that have did not get to travel during the pandemic, now they're coming back. And so we have a great number of people coming into the islands, but they have to um, they have to take a test and prove they don't have the virus or show that they're vaccinated. And so they're taking great, they're being very cautious here in Hawaii. And there's still a mask mandate so that when you're indoors in a restaurant or stores, you have to wear a mask. And that's certainly not the case on the mainland. The numbers are going up here, but not like they are on the main, thank goodness. Yeah, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Well, look, thanks so much much for your time. I'd just like to mention that everything we've talked about today will be put online in the form of show notes, a full transcription of this chat, plus any links that we've made to your books and to your social media, they'll all be there so that anyone listening who wants to just go online and find those links, they'll all be there for them to reach out to you. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much. This has been delightful. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audioservices at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.